thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here's Pastor John Hill. Let's dive in. Good morning, everybody. My name is Steve Garcia. I'm the lead pastor of Sunrise Church. And in just a moment, we're gonna toss things back to your live pastors for today's message. But I wanted to tell you that today, we are beginning a brand new series about spiritual warfare. There is a whole unseen realm of Satan and his demons that wage war against us. And maybe you've once heard somebody say, I'm under attack, I'm in spiritual warfare. That's not spiritual warfare. It's only spiritual warfare when you get in the fight. You see, the reality is that God has given us everything we need to wage war. So it's time we stop sitting back and taking the attack. It's time we punch back. It's time to get battle ready. Morning. Man, uh, good morning, first of all, to all of you, everybody watching online. Uh, we have a team led by Pastor Steve and some others that are in uh, Kenya and Africa. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they're watching, but uh, wow. Hello if you are. And uh, so literally could be potentially people all over the world uh, watching us uh, as we also join live here in the room. And so very excited to kick off this new series. My name is John. Again, I'm one of the pastors here also at Sunrise, uh, and it is my honor to be able to kick this series off about being battle ready. Uh, and as I think through it and I thought through what, you know, how's the best way to sort of approach kind of what we want to do as an overview today, and then we're going to go through some specifics over the, really the course of the summer uh, to get us battle ready. Uh, I thought back to probably now 20 plus years ago, uh, maybe some of you remember when the movie The Matrix came out. Anybody remember The Matrix? Some of you, okay, like one half clap and everybody's like, ah, okay, yeah. Um, it was really a, kind of a groundbreaking film at its time. And then even the plot uh, kind of opened the door to things like, I know this summer, uh, and actually even, I forget when it all came out, but Marvel's been making movies about like multiverses and things like that. Uh, Matrix was kind of on the edge of that when they came out. A couple years ago or a year or so ago, they came out with the fourth Matrix, I don't know if you knew that. Um, I've tried twice to watch it and both times fell asleep. But um, <laughs> the very first movie was, was pretty okay. And uh, what was interesting, if you didn't see the movie or even if you did to remember, is in the movie the, the premise was that there was this battle going on, uh, warfare that was happening between machines and people, and the machines were sort of leading or, or winning uh, and had won, and they were utilizing people for fuel in some way. And so they had created a, a world where people were uh, actually induced into a coma state, comatose state, and yet they would implant in their mind images that made them think that they were living in a world that didn't exist. Uh, when in reality, the, in, the, in the real world, they were uh, in a tube uh, with, you know, and they were really imprisoned in this tube. Uh, and the real question, the sort of pivot in the movie and the series was, would you want to know the truth if that were the case? And so at one point, there was two pills that were offered, right? 
two Mike and Ikes that were put out in front of everybody. <laughs> one was red, one was blue, and you had to decide whether you wanted to know the truth or whether you wanted to stay in your slumber and stay asleep. Well, this series is offering you these pills. <laughs> what we're doing is, now we don't have any to physically give you, but we, that would have been really cool if right at this moment all the ushers started handing out Mike and Ikes. But the thing is, you get a hot tamale or the blue one. Um, and the question, the question, though, for us today is, do we want to know? Because the reality is that our reality is not the real reality. <laughs> so you're like, wait a minute, it felt pretty real today when I got up and had an argument with my kids and then really uh, almost destroyed the alarm clock because I didn't want to wake up. And, and then, you know, my checkbook is screaming at me and my, you know, my job is tense and my marriage is you know, tense and, you know, what, what do I, this is not the real world. Yeah, it's real, uh, but the reality is there's more to it than what you see. And what if, this is what I would pose to you, what if all of the struggles that we feel, and I know all of us would have no shortage of struggles that we can talk about that we're dealing with. Even as you heard the title, Battle Ready, some of you coming in, maybe you saw the program, you know, before we started and Maybe you didn't see anything on it, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't battle. Which battle are we talking about? Are we talking about Ukraine? Are we talking about the Battle of the Bulge? What, what are we talking about here? What kind of battle do I need to be ready for? Well, I would say to you that what if every battle that you would think about that's in your mind that this might be about, you know, again, wars that are going on, uh, tensions that are happening, uh, political stuff that's happening, you know, all of that, even health issues, finance issues, family issues, everything that you're, you're thinking about that could either be things that you feel are kind of beyond you, like, you know, maybe the war in Ukraine isn't, you know, it's important and everybody's talked about it, but I don't know that you feel a sense as close as maybe your checkbook that's being short this month. Whatever it might be, the battle that you're thinking about, what if, what if? Those battles were just smoke screens and decoys to keep you from seeing the real battle. To which pill do you want to take? How deep down this rabbit hole do you want to go? Because I would suggest to you that everything that is in our culture that, that makes us grip a little tighter, that, that makes us vent a little longer, uh, that causes us to lose sleep at night, Everything you came in with could be health issues. It could be, it could be issues, again, relationships in your family. It could be stuff at your job, in your neighborhood. It could be a dating relationship. It could be a battle for purity that you're dealing with as a single person or maybe even a married person. Don't mistake it. Married people can struggle with purity too. Whatever that battle is, if it's just a smokescreen, the question is, do I want to wake up to the real battle? And what if that stuff that we wrestle with, if we were to understand what's really going on, if it would help us to begin to overcome some of these other things that make us tense up. Because that's exactly what God wants us to know today. God wants us to know that everything that you're struggling with is a smokescreen. It's a decoy. There is a deeper, more insidious plot that's going on behind the scenes that you don't see. There's things that are unseen that you don't see and their goal, their, their agenda is to blind you, to, to decoy you away so that you could be isolated, so that you could be divided, so that you could be stressed out and living in anxiety, and, that, and, and, and essentially to keep you blind to the truth 
that will set you free. That's what the spiritual battle is all about. So even as we talk about getting battle ready, you know, the first thing that, um, that we need to talk about is where is this listed? Like, wh- where do they talk about this? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, that's where I want you to go if you have a Bible, if you have a, a device, however you access Scripture. You can also look at it on the screen. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, we have Paul wrapping up a letter that he had written to these people in Ephesus, be- believers, followers of Jesus. And in this letter, he's painted a picture for them in the first five-plus chapters, which really weren't chapters when he wrote it. It's just the first part of the letter. He's writing to them about their inheritance in Christ and all the blessings that come as being a follower of Jesus Christ, one of them of which is a hint to what we're talking about, that you, have, you are dead in your sin, but Christ made you alive. So there was a point where I was dead. Wait, so now we're talking about the walking dead too? What happens there? There's a point in all of our lives, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you know there was a point in your life where you would have said, yep, I was dead. But you were breathing, you were walking, you were living life, but you were not living a life that was going to lead to the thing that you thought you wanted in life. Even if it did, you were going to find out that it wasn't fulfilling and that it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. And then now what? And, and Paul says, you, you were dead to all, to, in your city. You were walking dead, and Christ made you alive. And then he puts you into this, this community of people that are, that are people you would never hang out with and never be a part of except for Christ. And he brings together people who the world has divided, who the world has isolated, who there are literal battles and wars going on, whether it's geographically or sociologically, economically. There are wars going on amongst these people groups that Christ brings together, places into a place of unity, and then gives them a whole new purpose to work together. And then he says, you need to do everything you can to keep that unity. And you need to do everything you can to live worthy of this calling that you've been called to because it's different than what the rest of the world is all about. And then he comes to verse 10 and he says, finally. He says, be strong in the Lord, right? And in the strength of his might, in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Some translations say the strength of his might. He goes on in verse 11, says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. After Paul has spent five-plus chapters talking about what life should be like in this life, then he says, there's a thing going on that you may not be aware of. There is a battle that is happening that is not a flesh and blood. And he goes and talks about rulers and authorities and, and spiritual powers and darkness and in the, in the heavenly place, meaning it's in a spiritual realm that you may not be aware of. And he said, I want you to put on the armor of God. I want you to be strong in the Lord. And I want you to make sure that you take your stand because there is opposition coming. And this is the great irony of the spiritual battle is that their main plot line, at least in America and in American Christianity, is they want you to never feel that battle the enemy does. The best thing they could ever do is to put you asleep, but instead to live as if there is no battle. I don't want to be bothered. I want to be left alone. I don't know what you're talking about. As if there is no battle. I don't want to be bothered. I want to be left alone. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just going to come to church and go home and just try to do my best and be a good American. That's what they want you to do. 
Because they know that if you wake up to the truth and you are truly set free, then you will begin to tell others and impact others and make a difference. And you may not change the whole world, but you'll... We get hints of this throughout Scripture because it's too much for the enemy. We get hints of this throughout Scripture because we, hear, we read in uh, Job, which is one of the earliest stories. In fact, many believe it's the oldest story that's in the Bible. It's not the first book of the Bible, and certainly Genesis records older events than Job, but Job is the first story that was probably collected. It's probably collected before even the events of Genesis were recorded. So it's an old story about a guy who comes under the attack of the devil. It opens up in the first chapter with the devil coming into God's throne room, basically, and they're having a discussion about what the devil is up to and whether or not he's considered Job. And then it, in seemingly like unthinkable terms, they, they seem to make a deal. Well, I, I, I want you to go ahead and try out Job, and Job will stand for me, God says. And Satan says, well, that's only because you give him a bunch of stuff. If you take all that stuff away, then he'll, he'll curse you. Well, he was half right because God allowed the devil to take all the stuff away, and his wife said, why don't you curse God and die, Job? Thanks, honey. But, but Job <laughs> stood strong. So we see this. What's important there is you see this heavenly stage and then this earthly stage. You see this, these realms kind of coming together. In Revelation 12, the last book that was written, you, you see that um, in chapter 12, there's this, this account of a dragon being cast out of heaven. It's where many of us get this idea that Satan at one point might have been an angel and then thrown out, and he takes a third of you know, the angelic host with him. And it says that he's as a dragon, he's described as a dragon. Now he's hovering over a woman about to give birth, and the woman represents Israel, and she's about to give birth to the Messiah, who is Jesus, and he wants to destroy the woman and the baby. And again, we see this interaction between the upper realm and the, and the lower realm. And even in Genesis, the very first book that we can read through in chapter 3, the only the third chapter, you see this conversation between a serpent and Eve and then eventually Adam. And there's this, again, interaction. When Jesus comes on, you see this interaction in the desert in Matthew and Luke 4 where he's tempted in the wilderness, I should say, with or by the devil. It's, again, interaction. The point is to ourselves, it's trying to open our eyes to something that, if, if left to ourselves, we might be blinded by because of the pressures and because of the volume of what's happening in our world today. And it's only gotten more what, voluminous. I don't even know the word for that. It's only gotten bigger because of media and the access to media and how now it feels like so many of us, and I know we'd like to say only people under a certain age, but I'm watching older folks too, and I am one, with their faces in a device. And both figuratively and literally unaware of what's going on around them. And very often we find our faces in our own lives without any thought of what's happening around. And Paul says, you need to take up your armor. You need to be ready. You need to understand that there is something going on that is bigger than what you may be looking at. It is unseen. It is beyond what you can perceive with the naked eye. You have to understand that there is a deep spiritual plot that is happening in the spiritual realm. And this is the battle, friends, that we need to be ready for. It's not a battle against human beings. It's not a battle against, in fact, every single thing that's going on in your life that you may want to battle requires a spiritual solution. It will not be solved by human means. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So no matter how bad the mass shootings get, no matter how bad uh, ego-driven warlords and world leaders start ridiculous campaigns against people groups that they have no business dealing with, 
no matter how bad the politicians get, no matter how bad even your marriage or your kids or your parents or your dating life or your lack of a dating life or whatever else, all of those things, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad the people are who are part of that, that's not the real battle. The real battle is behind that with these rulers and authorities. There's an incredibly organized campaign and built with an organizational structure that blows off the map uh, and, 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 and plans that would make the mafia look like Girl Scouts. And, and it's all happening behind the scenes. And its entire goal is to blind you and to distract you from the truth that will set you free. So you know how the first step is to getting battle ready? Is you got to first be battle aware. See, some of us aren't even willing to acknowledge the battle. For some of you, you're already tempted even now to unplug. Oh, it's talking about spiritual battle. I don't know about ASS. I just want to, times the game start. You know, I don't know about all this. Even that is the enemy fighting against you. It's the pressures of this world combined with the decay of your flesh. And it's trying to keep you from the truth that will set you free. So the question becomes, well, how can I begin to win these spiritual battles? What difference can it really make in my life? Like, what do we really do with this? Well, another thing I would tell you is that you can't win any spiritual battles until you first acknowledge that the most critical battle is spiritual. So think about all the things that you're struggling with right now that you came in with ready to burst into tears, the things that you came in with stressed about, the things that you can't wait for me to be quiet so you can come up and talk to a prayer partner. Those are the things that I want you to start to think about as we talk through the rest of this. And ask yourself this, what can I do to access spiritual means to solve this problem? Because it will not get solved by human means. It has to be a spiritual solution. They might be human problems, but they require spiritual solutions. So what does this have to do with us? How does this measure up? How do we apply it? Well, let me just suggest to you the first thing, which is don't make the mistake of thinking that the spiritual battle is about some huge epic journey that you have to go on and you are supposed to be the big superhero that's going to save the world. Because that's not what God's ever asked any of us to do. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus already did it. So we don't need another savior. Anybody agree with that? Just turn to your neighbor. Just say, look, you ain't the savior. I know it's not good English, but it's good theology, okay? And then just because I want to be fair, you tell back your neighbor, neither are you. And then you might both agree, amen. That's good, right? Because none of you want me to be the savior. I can tell you that. And I'm pretty sure I know a lot of you. I don't want you to be my savior either. We're not saviors, but we should be warriors. We're not saviors, but we should be soldiers. We're not, the, we're not the party that's coming in to defeat the world, but we're the party that's coming in to set the world up for Christ's return. Now, we're not going to do this because we go around smashing people. We're going to do this because we fight in that spiritual realm with spiritual weapons for spiritual purposes. So we also need to know we got to get rid of all the con condemnation. We got to get rid of all the gossip. We got to get rid of all the, do you know what I'm saying? The negativity, the tension, the, all of that, the toxicity that oftentimes, unfortunately, comes from churches. Sometimes it's the most toxic place to come is a church. Now, praise God, I don't believe that's sunrise, but it happens some places, right? 
And the truth is, I want you to be battle ready, not in a big, epic, huge way where you're going to go out and save everybody. But you know what? In small, everyday choices and habits kind of way. Have you ever met somebody or seen somebody that you see and, they, and, and you feel like, man, that person really has it together. They seem to love the Lord. They come to church regularly. They always seem to be in control of what's happening around them. Their marriage seems healthy. Their kids seem to actually like them. Uh, it seems to me like they actually want to talk to them. You know, and, and, and it seems to me that that person just really has a grip on life. And you ask yourself, how come my life's not like that? Well, A, their life's not as perfect as it looks. Some of you thought I was describing you, and you were like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay. Your life's not as perfect as it looks. None of us are. I don't care if it's a pastor, an elder, a deacon, or the guy who just walked in. Nobody's got the perfect life. But B, the reason their life seems to be where it's at, many times, if it's true and authentic, is because they've made small everyday choices throughout their life that are habits they've built over time, and those habits have turned into character traits, and that character has become what you see now. It's not because they did some epic thing, some huge epic change. It's because they made a decision to become someone who was a follower of Christ, who stood for the things of Christ. They made that decision. I'm going to become that person. And then they implemented habits and decisions that helped them become that person. Let me ask you, when's the last time you sat down and thought about the things that you do on a regular basis and asked yourself, who is this helping me to become? I know you've asked the question, where is this going to get me? I know you've asked, how much money can I make from this? I know you've asked, you know, what will people think of me with this? But I want you to ask the question, what is this helping me to become? And then as you look at those things, is this person that you're becoming the person that you think God wants you to be? And is this person the person that's worth you becoming that person? Because the lie of the world is, do it by getting a lot of money. Do it by getting a lot of notoriety. Do it by getting a lot of power or position or title. And you know what? If you talk to people who get all of those things, every single one of them are going to tell you one of two things. Either it was not enough or it didn't do what it promised me to do. I need something else. And that's the lie of the world. It's a butterfly you chase, and then when you finally think you got it, you open up and you realize there's nothing to it. And you're distracted the whole time. So how can we become undistracted? How can we become awake, woke, right? Talk to the culture today. Get woke. <laughs> okay. Even the woke culture, they don't even realize it, but the irony is buying into the woke culture is actually blinding people. Now, I'm not talking about politically. Don't write me a letter. I'm not talking about that. That's not what I'm saying. Don't. I didn't make a political stand just now. What I'm saying is that if you think the answer is to get woke to the things of the world, that is actually falling into the trap of those who want to blind you. What we need to do is get woke to the things of God. If we get woke to the things of God, we don't have to worry about the things of the world because we're going to have an answer because we have the God who gives the answer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so somebody already started an email. Send it back. So let me give you four things real quick that are ways that you can get battle ready. Super simple, very practical, very accessible things that you can do to become battle ready. Here's the first one. Be growing in your faith. Be growing. I put the word be there because I don't want you to be grown. Some of you think you're grown. You're a parent, some of you are parents. You're like, oh, you think you're grown? 
right? You've been there, right? You think you're grown now? Okay. You got a, you know, $6 an hour job and you think you're ready to, okay. Sometimes I wonder if God says that to us. You think you're grown? You think you know it all? You think you're ready? The truth is we should always be in a state of growing. Do you know in Ephesians 6 when it says in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Literally this verse translates as grow strong in the Lord and the strength of his power. Grow strong. In other words, it's an active word. Continue to grow. Grow strong in the Lord, in your relationship with God, and in your dependence upon his power. Not your power, not the world's power, his power. That you are seeking that out. And actually the word grow that is translated, I'm sorry, strong, the word that is translated strong, to be strong, is to summon up vigor to put forth energy. So it's like as you grow strong, what you're trying to do is get to a place where you're energetic about the things of God. You're energetic about tapping into God's resources and his power. That's going to help you be battle ready. There's not a soldier on this planet that doesn't physically train for the battle, right? We need to spiritually train for the battle. And the best way is not through just head knowledge. It's not about facts and figures about Jesus. It's about getting to a place where you're applying the truth of God on such a regular basis in small, everyday Easy to do ways, meaning not easy, simple. Simple to do. It's not easy because otherwise we'd all do it. But there's simple ways that you could do every single day. For instance, when the alarm clock goes off, do you hit snooze or do you get up a little early and have some quiet time with, with God? And you think that doesn't make a big difference, but if you did that every single day and you think about in your life now how often you do it, and if you could look back and say, if I'd have done it every day since then, where would I be now? Simple things like when a temptation comes along and you know that trigger is coming. Do you get rid of the object? Run like Joseph in the Old Testament. Ran so fast. There was like part of his garment in the hands of the girl who was coming after him. Who's doing that these days? In the rave, the music's going. Nobody's running out of there. In your computers, guys, and now I have to even say girls, and you're tempted to look at porn, what are you doing to get out of there? Are you playing around with it? Oh, let me look. I'll get better. Okay, you know. And then, oh, I'm crushed. Develop habits that you can do that help you run to God, not just willpower, not just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen on my own strength, but that you run to God and draw closer to God in that moment. God, I know you want me to be there. The enemy wants me to go away from you. I need to get out of this situation, the trigger that's there, and make the choice to get closer to you. Be growing. Here's number two. Be sober-minded. I love that word sober-minded. In 1 Peter 5, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. <laughs> who does he devour? The people who are isolated. Well, in the, in the animal kingdom, it's the animals that are isolated. It's the animals that are at the back of the pack. It's the animals that have lost touch and connection with anybody else. They're not paying attention. Their face is down in the grass and, and the lion jumps out. They don't even realize because they haven't looked up to see that the whole pack has moved on. And now they're by themselves. What's the opposite of sober-minded? Drunk. Don't be drunk with the world. Don't be drunk on all the goals and the visions and the things of the world. But instead, be alert. Look around. You have an enemy. And like a lion, he is looking for whom he can devour. 
The enemy's goal is to steal you from God, to kill you, or to destroy you. We'll see this in Jesus' words in just a few minutes. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, the people that are caught, the flesh and blood that's causing you struggle, they could be driven by the things of this world. But they're still not the real enemy. That's why hatred is so silly for a follower of Christ. That's why bitterness is so silly. That's why materialism is so silly. That's why all of those things are a waste of time for the follower of Christ because it's only keeping you distracted from the real mission. So be sober-minded. Here's number three, be equipped. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we need some weapons. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power, not human power, divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In a nutshell, we're in a spiritual warfare. We need to be equipped with spiritual weapons. And these spiritual weapons will be available to us to, to take down strongholds, which are big blinding walls of error that are intended to blind us uh, and, and intended to isolate us from the truth. Arguments are lines of thought, philosophies, reasonings that are intended to deceive or distract. Pretension is a self-obsessed pride or ambition that is intended to remove God, that we think we don't need God. I don't need God. That's a pretension. You're sitting here today, you don't think you need God. That's a pretension. You're asleep and you're a victim of the spiritual battle that's going on. And even Paul would write a couple chapters earlier, wake up, sleeper, arise. The truth is we have to be equipped with spiritual things. Now, we're going to take the rest of the series to talk about the full armor of God that Paul says to take on. But in this armory, we have things like truth and righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the spoken truth of God, and prayer. Ask yourself the tensions, the struggles, the battles, the things you came in with. Are you using any of these to fight that? In your marriage, are you using prayer? In your relationships, do you use truth? In your friendships with, with people that, or relationships with people that cause you problems, are you sharing the gospel, not necessarily with your words, but with your life? Are you expanding your faith, which is simply your trust, your dependence upon God? Or do you keep running to other sources like Dr. Phil and your friend next door? Or are you running to God's truth? Out of this will come spiritual fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, self-control. All of these things are the results of fighting with spiritual weapons. So if in your struggles, in your battles, the results are leading to destruction and isolation and distraction and, and division and hatred and bitterness, then, then the enemy's winning. But if you begin to apply spiritual weapons, which be here for the rest of the weeks because you're going to hear about how all these things play out. Next week, we're going to talk about the belt of truth. You want to come and understand something about the truth that you may have never thought of, that you need to know, that is going to set you free. Are you using it in your battle? Because it will bring love and peace and joy. Anybody not want love, peace, joy, and kindness in their life? You're not sitting here today if you're like, man, I hope they don't talk about love, peace, joy, and kindness I want to hear about bitterness and trouble. That's what I want to hear about. 
I want them to help me know how to, you can be bitter. You know, that's what I want to know. No, we don't. We want those things in our lives. They come from God. So be equipped. Be growing. Be equipped. Be sober-minded. Here's number four. Be connected. Paul closes this section. We'll talk about it in several weeks in Ephesians 6 when he says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. I notice three connections here. He talks about the Holy Spirit, which is God. So be connected to God. He talks about uh, himself, who is really uh, godly leadership. So be connected to a church where you could work with godly leaders. And then thirdly, pray for all the saints, which is really being connected to all of God's people. So the truth is you need to be connected to God and to uh, his church and then even to others. And I would even add to that your purpose. And, and he would go on later and tell them, pray, because I, that I would be bold because I need to go share the gospel. That was Paul's purpose. What is our purpose? Our purpose isn't to be billionaires. Our purpose isn't to, to, to go and be heads of companies. and all. Now, we can be all those things, but that's not what your purpose is. If you got to be any of those things, then you would still have to ask, now, what do I do with this? Because if you don't do anything with it, you still haven't achieved your purpose. All you've done is achieved a worldly milestone. Now, they're not all bad. They're not all wrong. But if you're doing it without considering, what does it mean then to parent for Jesus? What does it mean then to be an employee for Jesus? What does it mean then to be a teacher or to be a trash collector or to be a husband or wife or a child or for Jesus? What does that look like? What does it look like for me to be a neighbor for Jesus? We all need God and a squad if we're going to be battle ready. Now let me talk to those of you who are not connected to God yet. I just want to invite you to consider that today should be the day that your step in being battle ready is to be battle aware to the extent that you would say to yourself, I need to get on the right team. I've been fighting for the wrong side. I've been living for myself. I've been living for selfish goals and gains. I've been influenced by the things of this world. And one of two things is occurring in your life. Either number one, you already know it's not working. Some of you go, well, it's kind of working. But what you're going to quickly figure out is that it may be working. You may be getting where you think you want to go. But when you get there, you're going to find out it wasn't really what you wanted all along. Or it's not enough. Or you just need a little bit more. And you're never fully satisfied. Can I just tell you in John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says a simple statement. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come to give him life. He's saying this in the middle of a teaching about shepherds and, and sheep. And he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. He says, I'm the one who is the way into the pen. He's talking about a pen that's in a community. When you're, your sheep, when you were a shepherd, you'd have a field that you'd put your sheep out. When you brought them in from the field, you need a safe place to be able to put them in so that they could be safe, they could be provided for, uh, they could be nourished, all those things. So this was a pen that would be in the city. He's, and there was a gate that would... You know, the gatekeeper had to let you let the right sheep into the right pen that belonged to the right owner. Jesus saying, I'm that gate. And I've come to be able to both be the gate and the shepherd, and I've come to give you life, a life that is really life, a life that you don't see in this world. You can only be told about it through the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. And he says, There's a thief, though, and he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he says about himself, I am the good shepherd. 
A good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. And Jesus came to lay his life down for each of us. He's the Savior. He went to a cross and bore a penalty that he did not owe for people who did not love him so that he might invite them into a relationship with him. And even as we talked about communion earlier, that's what we're going to do in just a few moments is celebrate his death. Who celebrates the death of their hero? Well, we can because he didn't stay dead. He came back from the grave three days later. And he would tell the world, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I've won. The victory is mine. And now I invite you to be in a relationship with me. Not a religious endeavor, but a relationship so that I could give you the keys to life. A life, as John would say in his gospel, that is really life. Not the fake counterfeit life, the phony knockoff that the enemy is trying to offer people. And so if you've never done that, I want to give you a chance to do that today. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads. And as you do that, I'm just going to walk you through a quick prayer. And in this prayer, there's no magical words. It's really just an opportunity for you to verbalize. Maybe it's even in your heart, in your spirit. Maybe not even out loud in your heart or spirit. Uh, your willingness to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to accept his invitation. And as you pray this prayer, the only requirement, it's nothing special about the words. The requirement is that your heart is authentic, that you really mean it. This is your chance to take the red pill. This is your chance to receive what Jesus is offering, which is a truth that will set you free. Pray as I pray you follow along and say this in your heart or mind or out loud if you'd like. Dear Jesus, I want to acknowledge today that my life, the way I've been living it, is not working. And even if it were to work, God, I admit that it won't be satisfying. It won't be what I want it to be. And I believe that you are the only one who has the life that is really life. And I first ask for forgiveness of sins and for my blindness. And I commit my life to you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I commit my life to you to walk with you your way, live life your way. Help me to live life to the fullest. Help me to be awake in this spiritual battle. Help me to be battle ready. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909 281 7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.